Welcome to Rocketman Explores, where we voyage forth and delve into the world of sci-fi. But wait a minute! Ah, that's better. So this season, we're going to be exploring alternate universes. What they are, how dark they could be compared to our regular ones, and just what kind of strange, wondrous, and terrible things can be found there. So come and join me on this journey, and we'll all go and find wonder and terror and strangeness together. Hello again, ladies, gentlemen, and everything in between, and welcome to another episode of Rocketman Explorers. I hope you're all doing well in this, the darkest timeline of 2020 that we all find ourselves in. Today, I have two, ver- two, not one, two. We've upgraded our guest capacity by one. This is, this is a momentous occasion. Two very special guests. For those of you who guessed correctly with last week's drinks episode, we are doing Farscape today, uh, a personal favorite of mine, one that I feel more people should see as often as possible because there's not enough bizarre Australian sensibility in science fiction and it needs to be brought in more. Uh, so my guests today are no strangers to the world of podcasting, nor science fiction, nor indeed Farscape. Kay and Taz were co-hosts of the Farscape Friday podcast, a weekly podcast discussing plots, characters, and favorite moments of Farscape. And and they're both joining me now, Kay from Southern California and Taz from Maryland. Kay, Taz, welcome to Rocketman Explorers. Hi, how are you? Hey, thanks for having us. Oh, thank you for joining me from down south and taking time from, uh, well, again, taking time out from this darkest timeline to uh, talk for a little bit. Great, great, good of you to do so. Well, we're surviving all right. Um, yeah. We're working from home like most of the professional world, I guess, right now. And uh, yeah. it's been uh, an experience. <laughs> Yeah, I've been at home uh, a lot now because I just had my second daughter. So for me, it's just been like perpetual stay-at-home momness, which is uh, rewarding and also exhausting. (laughs) Yeah, that'll wear you down. Okay, how did you guys get into uh, doing a podcast for Farscape? Why Farscape? I mean, I probably can guess the answer, but yeah, why Farscape? Um, Farscape was probably one of my favorite shows of all time. And when Kay and I met in 2007, I believe, it was basically our first meeting. We knew each other on the internet. We decided to meet in person because we were close by. And we had basically a five-hour discussion at an Indian restaurant that we shut down. And most of what we talked about was Farscape. (laughs) 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 And we love it. Um, I'm a fan fiction writer. Kay's a fan fiction writer. We you know, we've been in the fandom community for a very long time. And, oh my gosh, you just said, I think one afternoon we were talking on the phone that we should do a podcast because you were feeling down. So I was like, okay, because I'm a joiner. And uh, the next week we, we uh, got our laptops and we tried to figure out how to re- do this whole recording thing. We didn't know anything about it. But we just kind of went yeah. for it. I, I have a similar intro into the word of podcast for my producer, Tina, had a... Um, had a St. Patrick's Day party, which is also coincides with my birthday. So we were all drunk. And she was like, this is a friend of mine. She wants to do a Star Trek podcast. You should be her co-host. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and there we go. That's how it happened. So it's fair enough. It's a great enough. reason to do it. Yeah. yeah. And sometimes with projects like this, you just got to go for it. You can't wait around until you're ready. You just got to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's very true. If I, I'm going to state a few things I liked about Farscape that I, I'm wondering if you guys have a similar sort of opinion. Uh, biggest one for me probably well, not biggest, but one of them is um, 
their use of Jim Henson Studios, their use of puppets and their use of costumes because CGI can be all well and good, but you lose the tactileness. You you wouldn't have as good performances performing against Rigel or Pilot if they weren't if they weren't actually there. Like it's always even you know maybe someone who's like fourteen who's never known anything from CGI would disagree with me, but I would always say that having the physical presence just makes everything so much better. Even if it can still sometimes look like a puppet, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. Uh, and just the truly, truly insanity of some of the episodes. Some of the episodes are, for those, for those listeners who haven't seen it, Farscape, you, they, you will be hard-pressed to find some weirder, weirder episodes than Farscape, and bringing up some truly, truly amazingly outre things. I don't think there's any other um, sci-fi series I can think of where one of the main characters has a brief dream sequence about all the female characters and the puppet character engaging in a BDSM sort of like BDSM uh, small weed up to it together. That's definitely sort of a, that's, that's a particular to this series. Um, what about you guys? Like what, what's sort of your favorite thing about Farscape? Not to cross genres too much, but between the original star Wars and the um, prequels, where 100%. you can just see the difference that having a physical Yoda made, um, and you see that with with Rigel, you see that with Pilot, you see that where they they will build these gorgeous puppets and then physically have John like kissing them or mm-hmm. you know any interaction with Pilot. Yeah, the puppetry is amazing, and I think that was one of the things that really struck Taz and me when we were rewatching because we both watched it way back, you know, when it first aired, yeah. which was almost twenty years ago at this point, and looking at it and realizing how well it had held up. Um, I think that one of the reasons that Farscape still remains my favorite show is because there's a lot of shows I could rewatch that don't hold up. And whether Mm -hmm. that's just because of the CGI, which would be Babylon 5. I dragged my husband through Babylon 5 recently, which is still a fundamentally great show, and the CGI yeah. is still terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it was janky at the time, and now it's just like wow, okay. <laughs> um, but or you know, any a lot of Whedon's shows, a lot of Joss Whedon's shows, where you know at the time it was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing, and then on rewatch you're like, hey, it's a little bit problematic that you know Firefly is kind of like it's kind of orientalism, you know, a little bit. And it's like not really comfortable for me to watch. Um, But also at its heart, I think Farscape is a love story. And I think that um, the John Aaron plotline and getting to see two characters grow together and um, really change. um, Yeah. And and Aaron's character arc, like I could talk for days and pass and I have talked for days. Yeah. Talked for two years. <laughs> yeah, we talked for two whole years um, about how amazing it really is to see um, a female character get to go through an arc that is much more common for male characters. You know, to go from kind of the military, very strict, to being more in touch with her emotions, to being comfortable in a relationship. I think Farscape, because it holds up so well, because the character development is so amazing, that's really why this is one of my favorite shows. Yeah. Yeah, for me, um, I want to echo the two things that you said, the puppetry and the added dimension for the puppetry that really 
made it for me was just the the scope of alienness that you could take characters with that you don't get from Star Trek or many episodes of Star Trek. And now don't get me wrong. I grew up with the Star Trek Next Generation. It is one of my, also one of my all-time favorite shows. But I think, you know, Farscape is working in conversation with the Star Treks, right? You know, you have this kind of oriented military federation oriented um, hierarchies. You have captains, you have people in the ships, you have them doing good work, which is all awesome in its own way. And Farscape is just like, okay, we have people who don't like each other. We have people who start out hating each other's guts. They're all trapped together. They're all fleeing the same military, the peacekeepers, and they got to make the best of it. And then you get to see them grow together as a team and as a family and it's chaos like as you said the insanity is like off the charts and the fact that they go there so often like one of the jokes i think where you hear in fandom but it's true is like it's the show that has all the vomit and sex that you could ever ask for yeah yeah it's very true it's uh th- the joys i guess of filming in uh filming in australia and not the states or anywhere else is they, I, I've met a few Australian actors and they're all just like, yeah, man, you know, shit, let's do that. Like, yeah, let's, oh, we're going to film a sex scene where someone shoots me ahead and then I'll just run around with that head. Sounds great, right? Like, that's fantastic. So, like, yeah, you know, that sort of sensibility bleeds in and that's awesome. Good for exactly. them. <laughs> yeah, so, and then, as Kay was saying, the, the character arcs are just incredible. And it's, John and Aaron are the linchpin in the, in the, in the tent pole that holds it all together, but you see similarly deep Deep character arcs that happen for all the other characters and the villains, the two main villains, yeah. which is the, very unusual. Yeah, uh, Scorpius. Well, Scorpius's whole change, uh, both of them, uh, their whole change throughout all of it and where they end up is it's not it's not a story you see with villains almost ever, especially in a serialized show like that. The villains remain the villains because they have to be because they have to be the driving protagonist show, and they 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 thread the needle in that they never once change from being the antagonist scorpius is never not the antagonist you always know this but how he changes within that role is is great is fantastic and he re- he remains dangerous and scary up to the end even as our comfort with him as audience members you know grows but he never loses that edge and i love that yeah and i will also have to echo that um Crace, i think he becomes just a really three-dimensional character which is good to see because I think he acts kind of in first season as this very like scenery chomping one dimensional guy. And then Mm -hmm. as season one progresses and as, you know, as we get into Talon and everything like, and, um, and just his development to go to somebody that when he dies in season three, we're, we're all like crying. We're all tears because no, (laughs) you're finally a decent human. Or yeah, and that, of course, that's when he goes. <laughs> of course, that's when he does. Well, I mean, it's it's also the range of the actor, Lanny Tupu, who, of course, you guys know, he's also the voice actor for Pilot the whole time. So he must be, he, again, you don't get jobs like that as an actor very often, where both you get to have an entire arc as a villain and then also play the polar opposite character that you could, the most, compa- the most compassionate character in the show, switched with the most dickheaded military to begin with. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> And that's the uh, other fun thing about the show. It's like yeah. even the puppet characters have really deep uh, emotional mm-hmm. arcs. And I think yeah, exactly. it's like being puppets. They're real. They're with you. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah. And I, when you were saying everybody has an emotional arc, one of the jokes that Taz and I have is Chiana, who comes in as the sex symbol. She comes in yeah. because they were like, 
we have to start dressing Aaron in real clothing. So let's find somebody <laughs> else we can have half naked all the time. And yep. you know, she comes in as that's her role. And then by the end, Taz and I have this joke where we're like, oh, it's another episode where Chian is the only adult in the room. Yeah, you know? she's the only the only one that makes any sense at all. Come move on. I could talk, or I will get into a thing where I talk about this for the rest of the episode. Um, last question before we get into the episode is: so you guys, the last uh, released episode of the podcast was two years ago, right? Have you been doing anything sort of on the uh, creative front since then? Well, Taz mentioned we're both fanfic writers, so yeah. we're both um, heavily into different fandoms. Um, I had two kids, so pretty much all I have time for. Uh, oh, so you much- haven't had. You haven't had time to run around and write all this stuff with two kids? Why? What's wrong? Oh. Yeah, actually, ironically, um, Taz had to edit the last couple of episodes because I called her and I was like, I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is the episodes haven't been edited. The good news is, you know, I have a daughter. So (laughs) Um, I've also been writing, though. I have a pen name, Kay Butler, and I've been writing romance um, kind of to get away from the darkest timeline element of what's going on on that's wise um, yeah but that's me um so yeah i have continued writing fanfic um i've gotten more into doing fan vids lately um i just put out a star wars story on alternate universe story that apropos for this um and i so that's just finished posting and um yeah so i've just you know kind of as the muse strikes i i get into writing something and have a lot of stories going at one time and it's just a challenge to get them finished Good, great. Okay, let's get into it. So, we are talking today about Season 4, Episode 11, Unrealized Realities. And I chose this one. It's not necessarily, especially for a new viewer, the most interesting alternate universe we could take, but it's the one where they... I find they get into the mechanics of what their interpretation of alternate realities is. Every uh, science fiction show where they bring this up sort of ends up having to reckon with it somewhat on what their what their thought of how this works is. And this is the one where they explain what their thought process is, which is that it's not parallel universes in the sense that they're all happening at the same time. It's that they're all possible. And there's... This is where I want to ask you guys the question, is that my view of it is that they, they're they sort of implying there's one primary universe, but that it is infinitely sort of mutatable, depending on where you come in and out. But they all still function as just one primary with infinite possibility and not infinite sort of uh, infinite parallel things that are all happening simultaneously. He's sort of... Um, I guess we'll call him not an ancient per se, but the sort of the personification of the ancient. This implies that that he's like, it's not that they're all going at the same time, but that any and all of them are possible, and wormholes are the way to make possibility reality, to go from an unrealized reality to reality, and they do that both by showing jumping through time and then jumping through alternate realities. And and one more thing for the viewers, those of you who have seen Farscape, this is also a fun episode because the reality he goes to is where every char- every actor is playing a different character, and it's great, and it's absolutely <laughs> fantastic. It's so good. Everyone is playing against type. Um, Anthony Simcoe, probably the best, because I read that he specifically requested to play Jewel. Just, he's like, no, make me the girliest person ever. I want to be like really intense with this. Uh, but I guess the first question is... Um, yeah, so do you sort of concur with that viewpoint that I gathered, that what they're trying to say is that 
alternate universes don't all exist. It's not the parallel world in the way like Doctor Who is a parallel world where they say every parallel universe is happening at the same time. You can travel between them. Them, it's they're just potentiality, but potentiality that can always be possibly realized. Yeah, I think that's yeah, that's what comes across. So the the so um, John gives the name to the ancient of Einstein. So I'll probably refer to him that way throughout. Um, so yeah, one of the things that he says specifically is that there is just one John Crichton. So he goes through into these different realities, possibilities while they're, they're meeting inside a wormhole in a constructed, constructed space. That's it's got breathable air. So John doesn't have to wear a spacesuit. Um, but yeah, so he has, uh, he has one person, but then he can come out at anywhere. And the big thing that Farscape really pays attention to is this, the notion of time and how time and space are really one thing, which in the physical world and our understanding of the universe is, you know, Einstein's theory of relativity, um, is that you cannot talk about space without talking about time. And that's one of the, I think, the big differences in how Farscape treats alternate realities versus some of the other ones like Doctor Who with the parallel worlds and stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I want to point out one of the things that I'm, I'm glad we got to do this rewatch because my husband and I were rewatching it, and I was like, "Oh, that's what it means." And I was like, "This is the fourth or fifth time I've seen this episode." Yeah. <laughs> but um, one of the things that's always that initially confused me when I was watching it is I was like, "So if it is kind of a butterfly effect thing of you going into your past changes things, then why is you know Anthony Simcoe dressed up? You know, why is he playing Jewel?" Mm. And I think this time around, the conclusion that we both came to is that when Einstein says, you know, you going into your own past creates, you know, an unrealized reality that now is realized yeah. um, is like a pebble in the water. But the ripples don't just go forward. They're also going backwards, which yes. kind of explains why everything kind of becomes this weird, chaotic mashup you know, in the universe where John comes out and he's a peacekeeper, because I was like, there's no explanation for why John would be a peacekeeper or, you know, why the Scarens would, why John going into his own past would have caused the Scarens to come to earth, you know? Yeah. And then it kind of, so for me, it's that their explanation is that you going into your own past just creates chaos. Like it creates these ripples of chaos and then you have no control over it. Um, which was, you know, and I think Taz is right. That was an interesting explanation because I think usually on any number of them, um, like I listened to your episode about the wharf, you know, going into alternate timelines and I was like, yeah. and that was, you know, not really ever explained, explained. It was just kind of like, okay, these are all multiverse existing at the same time, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's hand waved away as obvious. It's almost, they declare it. Well, obviously infinite parallel realities exist because every decision has the, like the sort of the, as Terry Pratchett would describe it, the, 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 the trousers of time theory that every, every time this skill decision you have splits off, creates two different realities ad infinitum. And that's, but as say, as you say, they gloss over that very, very briefly. They just like, obviously this is how it works. Everybody knows that. It's like, well, okay, sure. Fine. I guess so. But yeah, they, you're right that they take this for a more like, our own understanding of physics approach of time and space being immutable. One cannot, you can't change one without changing the other. And you're, I think you're right that chaos is, it's demonstrating exactly how much to John, 
that yeah, you can't understand what'll happen if you go back in the past. It's beyond your. It's not just oh, you know, I tied my shoes different this time and I fell over. I didn't go there. It's like no, this is beyond your comprehension. Every single person you ever met is going to be different. Every single thing that you ever did, you you and indeed could even be on a different planet just because somehow that's just the level of chaos and ripples that are generated within it. Yeah, that's a yeah. I like that. That's definitely. And I and I think this one is. The way this episode is set up makes it – it's a very choppy episode, and so it yes. is very difficult to kind of get your brain around it. So there's lots of flashes to what we called um, – uh, what did we call them? The uh, – Well, they're uh, almost like the Greek chorus. Yeah, like a Greek chorus, uh, documentary-style uh, discussions. Like you've done yeah. interviews with like talking yeah. heads with um, – you know, people from his past on Earth and also past companions on Moya. And you see those permutations throughout the episode because they jump to him at several points and they start out being like super praise, uh, giving John super, super praise. And then as it goes on, they're like more insulting. It's like, oh, he's actually a terrible person. He's very narcissistic. And then at the end, it's like John who? I don't think I've yeah. ever, ever met a John. So you can see through these, through these, um, uh, talking heads you kind of get the sense of how how the realities can be changed by you know what where he is um if he goes to a different reality then as you said the one universe changes into something else because of his presence or absence um in the main the main thing i don't think i'm saying that very well but you can see okay, the ripple yeah, effects through that <laughs> i guess is what i'm trying to get to yeah yeah, I, I like you brought up that it's it, it's the episode itself is kind of choppy. And yeah, it would be difficult to start. Well, it would be impossible to start Farscape this episode because you would have literally zero. Farscape is not a show that you can start near the end and be like, oh, I'll pick it up as I go along. No, that's that's not how that works. But um, it's a very interesting structure. It's not a structure for a television show that, well, even for them that you would have done in season one, but it's not a structure you see very often for any show it's it's as you say it's very strangely structured it's almost structured more like you would be reading it than watching it with all the sort of various things that they're visually demonstrating the things that john is sort of only picking up i viewed the talking heads almost as like his taking in yeah of knowledge of everyone for how as his as his consciousness as he goes through and changes the past of like it's absorbing what reality is now but it's a very sort of stylistic way of explaining that. I, I liked it. I like how stylized they make this episode. It sort of helps with the idea of the shattering of reality and the dissonance of the dissonance of what the universe is by making it so fractured and stylized instead of a purely linear jumping from place to place and doing it like that. I, I, I appreciate the design of this of this episode tremendously. From that, I, I find it's an interesting take on it. One of the other things that this does, though, is it changes what wormholes are in the narratives because every single episode of Farscape kind of starts, starts with John Crichton giving his speech about, you know, I was shot through a wormhole and, you know, and so up until now we've known wormholes as travel, as potential weapons, um, yeah. which is Scorpius, you know, which, which is what Scorpius wants from them. Um, and John mainly wants them for travel and the rest of the crew pretty much wants them for travel but then in this moment, it really changes that like, oh, okay, these are no longer a relatively neutral thing. 
Like wormholes yeah. are no longer relatively neutral. Like from now on, if you're using a wormhole, you potentially are destroying reality as we know it. You guys keep coming through these wormholes and you're killing us, man, which is kind of what Einstein is saying. And so I think that that's what's interesting because this happens kind of towards the end of the run of Farscape. It happens in the middle of the last season. Yeah, and granted, they didn't necessarily they, know it was the last season. So. At the time, they at the time they probably still thought they were getting their season five. So, yeah, and so I think that for me, that was another interesting thing. Rewatching it was, as you said, you can't just start on this episode. You would be like, "This is a nonsense show. I'm not interested in this." <laughs> but as a viewer, you're like, "Oh, this is very rewarding because it's um, it's not like we're bored of wormholes, but it's." it's changing what we understand them to be within the narrative. Yeah, at least a bit changing the entire narrative of what's happened to begin with, because at least I, I sort of thought of this near the end of this, was I think my third time watching the episode of, you know, John start as you say, John starts every episode. I was shot through a wormhole and ended up here. It's like, well, then in a way he he's already changed his reality once for all we know his original reality was supposed to be he just flew around and came to earth but without knowing it he already it's it's not necessarily known that he in fact arrived in where we are in Farscape at the same time that he left earth either none of this is actually known this may the entire show to a certain extent may just be a ripple from something that he didn't even know he caused and has now become reality uh, mm -hmm. that's, I mean, that's pure speculation, but that's just something I thought of at the time was like, if this is the implication for what travel through wormholes is this very well, the entire genesis of the show might be just him changing things to begin with without even really knowing it at the time. And now being told, well, actually like that was never supposed to happen, but this is just what you did. Yeah. I, I like that idea. And also with Kay's point earlier about the ripples going backward and forward in time. So it doesn't matter when he went through the wormhole to an unrealized reality to alter things because that would go it would have effects in in many different directions so one of the things with john um is in the show he has been given this knowledge of how to navigate wormholes and it's been the subconscious knowledge in his brain since season two and or mid midpoint of season one but really comes out in season two and um and that's one of the things he has too much knowledge so people who randomly enter a wormhole are going to get spit out somewhere, but it's probably because they can't navigate it the way that John knows how to navigate it because of the subconscious knowledge. Yeah. You know, the likelihood of them altering things is low. Yeah. And I think that's what it's, it's what he yeah. says. It's like 99.99999% that they won't change anything. Right. Like vanishingly small. And that's one yeah. reason why, why John is, is the special case of the universe, right? It's because he has the ability to travel through wormholes through time any way he really wants to, if he knows how to, you know, if he figures out how to do it. And he's, you know, he's 90% there in this episode. And at first he's not afraid of that. And then throughout the course of this episode, as he goes into even more and more bizarre, unrealized realities throughout, it starts out kind of like that, you know, just a few details change from his first moment on moments on Moya at the beginning um, to having everybody, all the people he knows uh, in the bodies of other, other people he knows, um, then he starts to be afraid. And that's, that turns out to be the answer that Einstein is looking for. He wants John to fear this knowledge and this power that he has because it is so big. Yeah, he, he needs, without fear, there's no respect. And if he doesn't respect it, then it's, it'll go ca catastrophically wrong. 
and that's sort of the mm-hmm. lesson he's trying to teach him somewhat. It's it, and it's I, I like that interpretation to bring it all back to sort of the macro level of like uh, alternate universes in the first point. A lot of the time it's always stated in science fiction is alternate universes are dangerous because you don't know what's changed and you don't know what's going to happen. But they never bring back the fact that no, an alternate universe is dangerous because in this one is it's dangerous because it will destroy what you think you know of as a universe. It's mere existence changes everything. It's not... It's alternate, but it's not separate. It will always affect the primary thing. Almost any other alternate universe story, it either affects the character or they're affecting the different universe, but never has a major effect on the primary, on what they decide is the primary universe it is. But Farscape, that's the entire point. Everything that happens could... I mean, the stakes are always incredibly high in this show, and so that's it. Everything that happens will just destroy... That's it. It's done. It's destroyed. Or destroyed to anyone who would... I mean, some people, I guess, won't even know or care, but destroyed to anyone who thinks of it, uh, for anyone who considers its primacy, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, it totally does. And it's interesting because then Farscape kind of essentially immediately says, okay, so by the way, it's possible that at any moment, John can completely end the universe and change everything. And then literally in the next episode, they give him the opportunity to do that. Because yes. this episode ends and he goes back and he does exactly what Einstein just spent 40 minutes telling him not to do, which yeah. is he goes back into his own timeline in the past. Yeah. And um, so I think it's interesting because they both give us that kind of trigger of like, hey, potentially this could happen. But then they also give you like a, a wishy-washy, well, if when you go back into your own past, you change thing, you change the first thing that goes wrong and you kind of push it towards what it was in your, you know, in your memory, then maybe the timeline will just kind of, you know, go back to its normal stream. Yeah, I think they call it the timeline. Time, they, I think they call it the timeline being elastic. And they, they illustrated this in the episode Different Destinations in season three, where they, they Stark's powers um, accidentally take them to the past and they have to get to the same outcome, like peace on this planet, and the details change and they, because they have, to, they have to rejigger the things that they messed up to make the outcome be the same. I have to think it's probably a slight writing trick if they give themselves an out at the end because it's like someone must have said, but hold on, guys, like the very next episode, we're going like, wait a minute, (laughs) we can't end the series here. What have you done? They're like, okay, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. It'll be fine. It's more rubbery than that. It'll be okay. As long as we say things can stretch, (laughs) they'll buy it. It's good. It's like, okay, great. Exactly. We're in there then. Um, John's demeanor throughout this whole thing I find very interesting. And it's it's telling to what you guys were speaking about, about the character arcs on the show. So many characters in, well, any fiction, but science fiction, whatever, go th- they go through the type of things that John goes through, and they remain essentially the same. John is, at this point in the show, is a very damaged man, is incredibly damaged, to, and he manifests it, and seemingly with a certain blaséness about whatever's happening, he's seen so much ridiculous, horrible shit happen to him that he, he takes being thrown into an alternate created dimension by sort of a godlike being that he calls Einstein incredibly in stride, but it's because 
he's uh, fundamentally he's he's been da- very damaged up to this point and so the revelation that he can destroy the i almost say maybe that's partly why einstein needs him to get to be afraid of it because he's seen so much he's been so messed up by his experiences that it's harder for him to be afraid of whatever he encounters now he's just like well i mean how much worse could it possibly get like <laughs> i saw myself die like all sorts of crazy stuff <laughs> so it's it, it ties it, Again, it, you wouldn't know it if you just started with here, but it's a good tie-in for the character arc of just, just demonstrating Farscape's character arcs for characters as well, is how how he reacts to what would be an incredibly strange situation for anybody because of who he is and what he's done up to this point within the show. Yeah, it's, and I think that, that that's an interesting point because, like I said, wormhole weaponry has been a major theme on the show for pretty much since Scorpius was introduced. Mm-hmm. And I think that in Peacekeeper Wars, which was the movie that they did to kind of tie up all the loose ends they left yeah. fans with, it's up to John to make everybody else afraid of wormholes. Because John takes this fear that he now has from Einstein and he is terrified of wormholes. But everybody else is just kind of like, nah, 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 like wormhole weaponry, like let's do it, let's do it. You know, it's a and so in Peacekeeper Wars, he kind of makes the rest of the universe terrified of, of wormholes because he's kind of, he creates a wormhole so big that it literally eats two armadas, you know. And will eventually eat everything. It, yeah, and it, would essentially destroy. Until everything's <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And so I think that um, that's one of the other things that Taz and I talk about a lot where, yes. you know, he takes this moment of fear and it's like, even though he continues to use wormholes and he gets better at them, you know, as the rest of the season progresses, you know, he still has that fundamental fear of them. Yeah. Sometimes you'll see character continuity in a lot of shows for one of them, but it's character continuity for all of them. You're right. that, that It's one of the fundament, another one of the fundamental differences of Farscape from most other science fiction shows. It's just that she, even, even minor characters who you meet in season one and then reappears in season three or season four, they all, they, they, there's always an explanation for the actors because it all, it's always feeding back to what they wrote before. I can only imagine that, I guess that must be a writer thing if they were always, they seem to have been very conscious about not ignoring the decisions that they previously had their characters make, which is which is nice, because it's at least for uh, I, I don't want to name anything specific, but it's jarring when you know you have a character basically go through the same arc five or six times because they seem to just forget what's <laughs> happened to them every season. Yeah. It's like guys, you know, like surely you would have picked this up by now. Yeah, and I think part of that is um, Farscape came out in the late 90s, early 2000s, and it's kind of on that cusp of where serialized TV turned into the bingeable TV, you know? So it's kind of on that border, and I think that's one reason everyone found it so remarkable at the time is because we're coming out of the era of, you know, serialized Star Trek stories. And DS9, I would also argue, does very similar things. And even Babylon 5 was kind of a precursor, too. Um, but having those serialized things, and it really works. And like you said, John is so, so traumatized and so damaged. He's been tortured. He's been assaulted. He's been through everything terrible that you could probably imagine. He's probably already been through it. He's been driven insane. He has PTSD. And that's one of the fun things about watching him is because he isn't that stayed um, kind of the hero. And he actually has this line at the end of the episode where he's, I'm not Kirk. I'm not... uh, 
a Spock. I'm not uh, Buck Rogers. I'm not any of these classic heroes. He is Dorothy Gale from Kansas. He is in the Wizard of Oz being batted around by all these other forces. And you see that in the show. Like, he is, like, the most inept person of the crew at the beginning because he doesn't know what's going on. He's not his universe. Or his, I guess I shouldn't say universe in this context. It's not his world, I guess. Um and so when you get to this episode, he's like, you know, he tries to shoot Einstein. He tries to, you know, be he's sarcastic. He doesn't believe him. He refuses to play along with his games at certain points. And his arc over the episode is really coming to, like, respect Einstein and his view and what's going on with the wormholes. And it's kind of a turning point also in the season. I think we discussed this a little bit on our podcast, but, like, this is the first of a three-parter um, and it's kind of sets the tone for the last half of season of season four leading into the big finale um, where wormholes play a central role. And um, from that point as a character arc, it's, it's really interesting to see him go through that change right here and how seeing the other universes really impacts how he thinks about dealing with his own or the main one. Yeah. Cause the, the next episode, like I mentioned is Kansas where he goes back into his own timeline. And then that really does echo what Einstein is saying here um, about changing things, because the main thing that changes in Kansas is his dad's mission is um, postponed, which, you know, and he has this immediate reaction of like, well, that didn't happen in my, you know, in my universe. And so we kind of get the, we get the realization that, okay, things could be, you know, completely John is a peacekeeper, everybody is everybody else, you know, that wackadoodle. Or it could just be a minor thing that if he doesn't fix it, he doesn't, maybe his dad doesn't go on the mission. Maybe John doesn't become an astronaut. Maybe, you know. Yeah, it's the reverse. His his dad was scheduled to be on Challenger. And so he has to prevent him from going on the mission. Yeah. Yeah, it's okay. But yeah, and if his dad had died, then he would not have been inspired to be an astronaut. He would not have done the Farscape project. And then that has consequences across the board. Yeah, far-reaching ramifications. Uh, you guys have just reminded me, and I want to throw a quick shout-out. For my listeners, those, some of the listeners are well aware that uh, I am a florist. And so I just want to say that the biggest bad guys in this whole series uh, of Farscape, the Scarens, the entire reason they want to invade Earth is because of birds of paradise. It's because of a flower, <laughs> which is awesome. That's great. It's awesome, They're, yes. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, it speeds up their evolution so they're not just basically crocodiles. Uh, and, yeah, apparently we're the only place where it grows with any abundance. So, yeah, flowers – see, flowers <laughs> affect – for those of you who doubt, flowers, in fact, affect everything, including, like, you know, intergalactic <laughs> politics and conquest. So there we go. I mean, I'm just going to put this out there because my garden is growing like gangbusters. But if humans ever fail, plants are going to take over the world and we're going to have sentient plants next. Mm-hmm. Lots of Zans yeah. wandering around. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, and actually, I'll point out the Birds of Paradise thing. John is the one that tells them about that. They yeah. never would have yeah. known if John yeah. hadn't just been like, oh, yeah, those are Birds of Paradise. They grow <laughs> in their garden. Yeah, they grow <laughs> everywhere. That's awesome. And they're like, what? We must have them. Yeah. yeah. What did you say? Yeah, I agree with your timeline, except I think the ants will take over first and then the plants. The ants Fair. will take over, but they'll kill themselves in a world war as well because they're ants. And then the plants will be like, right, well, we've had enough of this shit. And they'll, 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 they'll sort things out. 
Okay, so yeah, well, uh, yeah, we're going to wrap it up there, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, thank you guys so much for joining me. Uh, yeah, this was fun. That was great. Um, where where can our listeners find you if you want to be found? I think most of them are trustworthy, maybe one or two, but statistically, you know, that's just how it works out. <laughs> um, they can still find our podcast. It's still up on um, iTunes, and I think we put it up everywhere else. It's called the Farscape Friday Podcast. We did that for about two years, so periodically you'll hear us say things like, oh, we're taking a week off, but hey, you're listening to it two years later, so you get every episode of Farscape already up. Um, you can definitely still hit us up. We are our Farscape Friday pod on Twitter, and um, I still check that fairly regularly. Um, I think that's it for social media for us, unless Taz. Um, my personal stuff is all my fan stuff, and it's not all Farscape, but it's a chunk of it. Um, my uh, AO3 handle is Tassos, T-A-S-S-O-S, if anyone's interested, but that's really all I got. That's that, that's wise. I'm not saying you're all crazy <laughs> listeners, but at least one of you is. You all, you know who you are too. So just uh, you know, keep it together. All right. Well, and for you guys who are listening for us, if you like what you're hearing, you can head on over to ratethispodcast.com/slash/rocketmantfgc and you know, give us a rating. Uh, I'd prefer it to be good, but if you feel very strongly about it, do it bad. I'm not going to call you out on it. Do whatever you need to do, and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at rocketmantfgc. Again, K Taz, thank you very much for joining me. Uh, and yeah, so uh, hang in there, keep writing, keep doing your thing, and uh, you know, enjoy the darkest timeline 2020. Maybe someone will come back in time and ripple it and change it, and we won't even know. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having us. This was a lot of fun. This has been a Two Finger Guns Club production. Pew, pew.